The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. And we're going to continue to move forward in terms of the series that we have been, uh, this theme that we've been looking at this year, 2012 AD, the Anno Domini concept, which the year of our Lord, which means that this whole year we are going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to say, okay, boom, let's take a whole year to look at, at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the perspective that we're taking with this whole, with this whole theme, with this whole year, is imagining what it would be like to be a first century Jew, to put on sandals, stand in front of Jesus and respond to his question, follow me. Respond to his invitation. Imagining what it would be like to be one of the 12. And it isn't too much of a stretch to think in those terms because Jesus invites us to be one of his disciples. And so Jesus has the ability to connect with each one of us on a level of intimacy that he did with the 12. And we get to decide, do we want to be one of the 12? Uh, we, it actually kind of works out pretty nice that we're doing this in the year 2012. One of the 12 in 2012. Kind of catchy. And woohoo! Uh, in fact, the number 12 has significance in the Bible. And it's been consistent throughout God's story that the number 12 means completeness. In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, there were 12 uh, disciples uh, for Jesus. And in our modern day, there are 12 donuts in a dozen. And so there is a consistent completeness that we feel a warmth uh, to, that, uh, to that name. And so uh, I want to let you know what the plan is for today, where we're landing. Uh, we'll kind of remove these uh, black things that have been in front of Marsh uh, for the past few moments. And we're not going to do this every Sunday. Uh, but we are, I'm going to explain more about what this is. Um, we're going to do something at the end of our celebration today that is a, a little bit different. And basically, it's an invitation. It's a tangible way for you to decide if you want to be one of the 12 this year and what your understanding of what that might mean. So that on 212, you could be one of the 12 in 2012. <laughs> okay, see how that works? It just landed that way. It just landed that way. It's all, all, all as well. Okay, but we, we, we want to let you know that's where we're going with this. We're going to a place today of saying, will you be one of the 12? Will you make a tangible decision to be one of the 12? We don't want to kind of do a, a bait and switch or surprise you or anything. That's where we're headed. So as we head in that direction, would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful once again for the opportunity to come and, and be together, be with one another and be with you. you. You invite and challenge us to love God and love others. And so this is a beautiful place for us to do that, where we can love you and love the people that we're sitting next to. God, we uh, invite you to come and uh, stir our minds and our hearts here in these next few moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I were in San Antonio this week for a pastor's conference. It's kind of this one event that I go to annually, and it's a gathering for uh, Church of God pastors of larger churches, and so we really get to, I get to learn a ton from other people who've been doing this a lot longer than I have, and it's a very encouraging and challenging time. There are about 25 uh, pastors that met in San Antonio, and if you heard my top 10 uh, mistakes list uh, for 2011, then if you heard that or remember it, you would know why this was my wife's first time coming to this gathering. 
You see, last year I called her on the second day. It's a three-day event, and I called her on the second day and said, hey, I just wanted to see if everything's going well. And uh, I said, everyone's asking about you. And she says, who's, who's everyone? I said, well, the other pastor's wives. And, <laughs> and she said, well, what, what are they doing there? And so uh, this was... This last year was my fifth time going to this event, <laughs> and I thought I asked her. Uh, I really did. I thought that I uh, invited her in on that, and so uh, through some counseling, we, we got over that, and, <laughs> and we're fine, but I, I got to tell you, that little story was, uh, was, a, was offering great pleasure to the number of other pastors who had gathered. They loved to hear that because they, uh, one guy just howling with laughter was just saying, I'm so thankful that you made me look so good with that story in comparison to his own faults. You see, many of us, particularly us guys, I, I connect more with, uh, you know, understanding the, 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 the journey from the husband perspective, because uh, I am one. And uh, from that perspective, I need all the help I can get in terms of looking good. In fact, one of the people who was there, one of the people who were mocking me for this, at one point was explaining uh, the day before this event, he and his wife came early so they could spend a day at the Riverwalk in San Antonio. If you've ever, if you've never been there, it's absolutely gorgeous. It is amazing, the Riverwalk in San Antonio. It's just, this, this, the architecture of this is 80, 80 years ago, right at the beginning of the Depression, they designed this, this uh, a few mile Riverwalk through downtown. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so he and his wife went early and spent the day there. And he was explaining to us about this day that he had with his wife. And he said, you know, I had a whole lot of work to do. And I just uh, decided to set it aside and uh, make, a, make a sacrifice and spend the day with my wife. And so then he realized what he had said. Oh, no, that's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. And so I said to him, you know, thank you, because in that little moment, you made me look good. We're all here to help each other out. Now, we're not supposed to use language like this in marriage, but there are times where marriage involves duty. You know, he uses, he's not supposed to say that. We all understand. You're not supposed to say that. But there are times where there are uh, decisions that we make that are connected to duty that has to do with marriage. In fact, where I want to go this morning is to say that intimacy in relationships, uh, in, uh, in many different relationships, but particularly in marriage, intimacy uh, involves two things. It involves duty and pleasure. It involves high level of duty, and a high level of pleasure. When you're dating, it's all pleasure, and there's very little duty. I mean, it's just maybe show up on time. It's kind of the only duty piece that's connected to it. But if there's a whole lot of duty, that, and, and I mean D-U-T-Y, uh, if there's a whole lot of duty <laughs> in the dating experience, and oh, we're uh, these long, heavy talks, and then that's kind of, that kind of moves towards Bye-bye. Uh, it's kind of in the thing. The dating thing, typically we want that to be high on pleasure. We'll see about duty. D-U-T-Y. And the, the, the wedding day, if, uh, you know, a relationship gets to that point, the wedding day is actually a beautiful picture of both of these things. Uh, the wedding day has plenty of pleasure involved with it. The memories and the experiences and the people, the whole event, for many, is a beautiful, pleasurable experience. But what's wonderfully connected to that is the duty that's part of the vows that we share when we get married. And we say, I will be faithful to you so long as we both shall live. I'm connecting, I'm making this a public declaration that I'm going to be dutiful 
in this relationship. It's a, it's a great mixture of duty and pleasure. There are other times, uh, if you've been married for very long at all, where you have to lean on the duty because maybe the pleasure isn't there. Maybe it's for a short term. Maybe it's for, uh, tragically, a long term where the pleasure isn't there. Maybe it is a, a period of time where one person is sick, and so then it's just it, it, you're having to deal with things that, or, or financial issues where the, where the pleasure struggles the pleasure takes a strain. Or maybe you have a baby. It's your first baby, and he or she is colicky, and, and you just, yeah, 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 and it's like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, and you just can't get it to stop, and the whole thing, and, and you love this little, this little one, and you love the one that you're connected with to, who made this little one together, and you've just got to kind of lean on duty perhaps at time. Or maybe it's the seven-year itch or whatever the, the, the thing might be for you. There are moments where the pleasure's a little bit low, and the duty is a little bit higher. I think that a healthy, intimate human relationship is high on duty and high on pleasure. It's high on both. It is a commitment to experiencing both. Valentine's Day is in two days. Uh, yeah, see, I, I really knocked some of you off, off your rocker there in that moment. It's in two days. And why do we send cards and flowers and chocolates to the, to the ones that we're uh, um, connected with in, in, in an intimate way? Because Hallmark told us that we had to, right? Uh, thank you very much. But uh, what we do kind of have to ask ourselves the question sometimes, do we do this out of duty or pleasure? Where, where do these uh, Valentine's experiences uh, come from? Do they come out of duty or pleasure? If it's all duty then I invite you to just kind of ask yourself, how did it get there? Because my guess is that it didn't start off that way. How did it slip into the duty place? And if it's all pleasure, if you're at a point where it's, it still is all pleasure, the whole experience is pleasure, wow, that's great, that's fantastic, but it's probably not going to stay that way. And what's going to happen when you have a, a Valentine's Day coming up and you are not particularly happy with that person? How's that going to look? See, an intimate human relationship involves a high level of duty and a high level of pleasure. A commitment to both of those. Th those two words are kind of new for me uh, recently. And the reason I, I landed on those two words for today is uh, I saw them in a poem by John Newton. I was reading a book and it, it had a verse from John Newton. John is famous for having written Amazing Grace, the, the hymn Amazing Grace. But he also wrote a number of different songs. And in one verse of one song, he has this to say. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond all measure and serve him with our all. Now here I'm making a transition from the marriage metaphor, from the marriage relationship, to our relationship with Jesus. You see, John is talking about a relationship with Jesus here. That's what this hymn, that's what this verse is all about. And he's saying that it requires a high level of pleasure and a high level of duty. That there is a point where they are joined to part no more. That the commitment is as much for one as it is for the other. And so it begs the question, as we shift from intimacy and human relationship, pleasure and duty, that's, that's an important part of that. It begs the question as we shift in our relationship with Jesus, is it a real relationship? This is a very important question. 
Is it a real relationship that we can have with Jesus? Or is it something different? It's very important for you to to ask yourself what you believe uh, on that question. Is it a real relationship? You may say you love Jesus. You may sing, I love Jesus. But we can love a lot of things. We can love Oprah. We can love Elvis. We can love Calvin and Hobbes. We can love cheesecake. There's a number of different ways that we can love. But do we actually go to the place of seeing a relationship with Jesus as a real relationship? That there's intimacy in that relationship? And we have to ask ourselves, uh, if that's not what you're currently experiencing, do you believe that's possible? Do you believe that is a possible path for you in terms of entering in to be one of the 12, to be sitting with Jesus as one of the 12? Do you believe it's possible? In the year 1950, it was thought around the world that it was impossible for a human being to run a mile under four minutes. They got very close, 402, 401, 402, 403, 401. They believed it wasn't possible to break the four-minute mark. And then in 1954, at a large race, the winner was Roger Bannister. And at the time, they didn't have a big real-time clock that showed exactly uh, how, uh, the time that somebody finished with. So the race was done, and they knew he had done well, and they went to all their uh, information to make sure they got the information correctly, and then the announcer went over uh, and uh, communicated to thousands of fans, to thousands of spectators, and kind of gave this big old preambles to what happened, and Roger Bannister's winning time was... Three, and when they said three, the place erupted. It exploded. Nobody had ever beaten four minutes. They didn't even hear the rest of what he had to say. They went crazy. They didn't hear the fact that he, uh, he finished with a time of three minutes, 59.4 seconds. Boom, it was that close. It was that close. Now, since then... The, uh, the current record, my understanding, is 3 minutes and 43 seconds. That's fast. That's very fast. And my understanding also is that any elite mid-distance runner, any you know, elite kind of top of the world, they all can do under 4 minutes now. They all can do it. And, and it's kind of a, just kind of a given now. Well, why is that the case? Are we that much better? Are we that much faster? Are our shoes that much better? Does goo really work that well? That's a reasonable question there. Well, why do we think this can happen? I think that with this and a number of other records that are broken, and it's this pursuit of the, of, the, of the human ability, I think there's a part of it that says, now we know it's possible. That when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mark, that, that the whole running community said, we now know it's possible. And so a number of others popped up and psychologically, intellectually entered into that and said, I know it's possible, I'm going to go for it. What you believe is possible dramatically shapes how you go after stuff. Let me give you one, one more little example. Last year, my wife and I uh, had the wonderful privilege of going to Hawaii. And uh, I realized in this one message, I'm talking about San Antonio and Hawaii, like we're big old traveling, you know, couple, and we're world travelers, yes. Well, yeah, but, but that... But it just so happens we had this opportunity last year. We went to Hawaii, and it was fantastic. One day, uh, Tammy and I connected with 
a, a local who's connected to our church. Her name's Laura, and she became our tour guide on a little hike that we took into the beautiful mountains on uh, one of the islands there in Hawaii. And she was taking us to this waterfall. It was a four-mile hike into this thick, thick, thick brush that she knew how to get in there. And it's way off the beaten path, not really a touristy place. And we had the privilege of going with her to this place. In fact, here's a picture of where we went. And this is where we landed. It, you know, pictures never fully capture it, but it was absolutely gorgeous in here. It was middle of the day, yet there was so much lush vegetation that it was almost dark and, and, and shaded here in this area. Uh, I have a little pointer to help us out, but I can only point at one screen at a time. So forgive me over here. I'm going to be pointing over here. Um, you'll notice it here next time. Sorry. Uh, but if you can, sorry, that's all, that's all I can do. So, uh, what happened is uh, you can go in this water, you can climb up the ledge here, and uh, you can jump off from about here. There's a decent little ledge. And let's see, I would have been about this tall, which is about six feet, and so this is about a 10-foot drop. Whee, psh, and it's really fun. It's really fun, it's beautiful. You want me to do that again? Okay, uh, you can experience it with me. Well, at one point, uh, I climbed up here with Laura, and I was explaining to her that somebody who had been there uh, earlier that she didn't get a chance to talk to was saying that they saw some people jump off this ledge up here, which is across the thing and up here to this deal. And I told her, you know, somebody said they jumped off that. And my absolute thought was no way, no way. Well, Laura, uh, she's our local friend, but uh, she could also be considered loco friend uh, because she, without hesitation, she had shoes on, she had tennis shoes on, uh, uh, without hesitation, she walked across here, climbed up the rocks in behind there, and got to that ledge, whee, and jumped off. And my first thought, again, was no way, no way, no way. And then about three seconds later, the testosterone kicked in. And I had this very dangerous thought of, well, if she can do it. <laughs> and then that's when my wife starts praying. And so what happened is I was barefoot. And to climb across here and up the, the way she did, I followed her in there. But to climb, and I'm not a rock climber. And to do that on this uh, very uh, uh, steep kind of rock wall, and uh, the, wa the rocks are black and shiny and wet. And so with bare feet, it's, it's very pre pre precarious. And what, uh, when you're up back there, if you fall backwards, you land on here. You don't land on the water. You're kind of over this whole ra uh, jagged rock area there. And so I was climbing up there, and, um, and uh, I, it was one of the most scary things I've ever done in my life. No kidding. I've done a few kind of crazy. This was incredibly scary because there were times where I'm, I'm going to have to kind of jump up to the, kind of to the next section. And as I'm getting ready to do it, I'm, sh I'm shaking like this. I'm shaking. <laughs> this is me. This is me on the other side of that rock. As I'm trying to make the thing, and I'm just and, and, and trying to make the climb up there, and I finally get up uh, to the very top of this. Can you go to the next slide? And here's me jumping off. Whee! Jumping off from that little edge there. And uh, the story goes that I screamed like a girl the whole way down. <laughs> I didn't know that, but... Uh, but the whole, again, there's no way I would have done it if I hadn't seen Loco Laura make this journey right in front of me. No way I would have done it. When we see that something is possible in front of us, it is motivating, it is transforming, it stirs us. It, it allows us to think, okay, this is possible. 
There have been a, a number of times, maybe, maybe a handful of times since I've been here, where I've heard a similar story from a spouse, usually men, who, who, who stumble into the church and say something like this. Say, say, Pastor, the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. I'm here today because I know my wife has a genuine relationship with Jesus. I know that. I see it. I don't get it. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But she has something, and I don't have it, and I want to know more about what that, what that means. Wow. See, that's the result of perhaps many years of, of a prayerful wife modeling an intimate and genuine relationship with Christ and a spouse. And it might be the other way around, but somebody else says, I've seen something, I've seen that it's possible, and I want to learn more about it. So I invite you to think about people that you know, people that you've come across, or uh, have you ever experienced someone to have had a genuine relationship with Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, but having a relationship with Jesus. And I'm not talking about Christian celebrities. I'm not talking about Christian authors and um, athletes and, and uh, pastors. I mean, people that you don't know personally because, because many of us can have all the right words to say. It doesn't necessarily mean we are experiencing intimacy in our relationship with Jesus. I'm talking about people you know and trust. Just because somebody has even had a transformed life, transformed in terms of their character, transformed in terms of an addiction, freedom, just because somebody has had a transformed life doesn't necessarily mean that they have an intimate relationship with Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Just because somebody has an incredible understanding of Scripture doesn't mean that they are familiar with the voice of Jesus. It doesn't necessarily mean that. So if you can think of somebody in your journey that you know and trust who has a genuine, real relationship with Jesus, then you know that it's possible. And that's a big deal. You've, you've seen someone run the four-minute mile. You've seen someone jump off that cliff, whatever. You know it's possible. I want to take a look at a story this morning that is found in Luke chapter 15. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. We're going to spend uh, the rest of our time there. It's a story that um, most of us here in the room are probably pretty familiar with. It's often referred to as the story of the prodigal son. It is one of the most loved stories in Scripture. It's the story of a son, the younger son, who has a re- the prodigal son who has a restored relationship with his father, and it's a metaphor for us coming home to be with our Father in heaven. And this connects to the idea of of us having a connection, a relationship with Jesus. And I want to kind of bridge that gap a little bit. In fact, I got an email this week, somebody who's engaged with with our journey here this year, who wanted to seek a little bit clarification, said, Alan, you're talking about a relationship with Jesus, but I've spent most of my life uh, seeking a relationship with God. Are those two different things? Are we talking about the same thing? Great question. And yes, they are the same thing. Jesus is God. Eugene Peterson says that, that God moved into the neighborhood through the person of Jesus. Jesus has, al- has always existed, but God came in the form of a person so that we can have that much more of a connection with him. 
And so a relationship with Jesus is a relationship with God. They are one and the same. So this story of the prodigal son, it is an A.D. story. It is an Anno Domini story. It fits in the umbrella of what we're going after this year. And again, most of you are familiar with this story. The younger son says to his father, I want to have my inheritance now. I want to take it and I want to leave. And this was uh, equal to uh, saying, Father, I, I could care less if you die. This is so insulting, so disgraceful. You just do not do this in the Jewish culture. culture. And in the story, the father gives the youngest son his, his inheritance early. And the younger son takes off and squanders it all and living a wild life and loses it all fairly quickly, but has to take care of himself, has to survive, and so he gets a job feeding pigs, which, again, we've talked about this before, Jews and pigs and bacon, the whole thing. It's just an odd fit, and it's an it, 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 incredibly disgraceful job for a young Jewish man to be feeding pigs, watching them eat better than what he, even he can eat. And he comes to the clu- conclusion of, I, w- I would be better as a staff person in my father's household than what I'm doing right now. So he starts to make a trek back home, and he's practicing in his head what he could say to his father to try to get some low position back in the staff at, at his place asking for a second chance, knowing that he deserved nothing from his father. And the beauty of the story is that when he's seen over the edge of the, of the hill, the father runs to meet him. And the story includes that important fact that the father runs. A Jewish patriarch like that would have a, a big long cloak and, and you don't run in public. In order to run, you'd have to lift up your, your cloak and kind of do this awkward thing. I mean, it would just been just another disgraceful thing, humiliating thing, and the father did not care. And as the son was trying to explain to himself, here's why I think maybe I could have another opportunity, the father just says, here's the robe, here's the ring, uh, get the fattened calf, Um, we are going to have a party because my son was lost and is now found. It is a beautiful, beautiful story. And many love this story because it is an amazing picture of the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness of God our Father in heaven. And it can be a tearjerker. It can touch our hearts. It can move people towards relationship with God. It's a beautiful story, but there's more to it than what I just said. There's another whole element of it. And there's a book called Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's a really good book, and it's all about this story. If you like this story, you'll love this book. No, if you love this story, you'll like the book, one or the, one of the, one of the other. It's a good book about this story. And Tim Keller reminds us that Jesus doesn't refer to this story as the story of the prodigal son. Nowhere is that in Scripture. In fact, I'm going to join with you here in chapter 15. The story begins in verse 11. And Jesus says, There was a man who had two sons. That's the way the story started. It's not about one son. It's about two sons. The older brother is often forgotten in this story. He's kind of a tag-along. And once you're done with this story, there's this little other addition here at the end, but it's really about the younger brother. And Tim Keller wants to remind us that that's not how Jesus would have intended this story, that this story very much was as much about the older brother as it was the younger brother. Let me remind you the story of the, of the older brother. 
when there is a party with a fattened calf, this wouldn't be a party for just the three of them. If you're gonna, if you're gonna kill a fattened calf, this is a party for the whole village. The whole village had gathered to celebrate that the younger son had returned from home. And it's in the middle of that party, the story says, in the middle of this whole party, that the older son pulls the father out to talk with him. And his action of doing that would have been amazingly disgraceful in the midst of this party because the, the, the older son pulls the father out and chastises the father. It's, it, it, you read in there, he says, look, and I can just imagine there's some finger pointing happening with this older son. Look, I have been faithful for years and you have thrown no such party for me. It's not fair. And the older son states his case. And in so doing, in front of everyone, is equally disgraceful to his father. This father has had a pretty rough season with his boys. This father, perhaps at this time, is thinking, I wish I had girls. (laughs) These boys are not treating him very well. And the reality of this is, we can connect with this story on many levels. On one level, all of us are at times, younger brothers. And on another level, all of us are at times are older brothers. Some of you here in the room today are functioning in significant ways or in a, in a, in a, in a top priority way as a younger brother, and some are older brothers. See, younger brothers hear this story and love it. Younger brothers hear the story, see the grace and the love, and just absorb it and cuddle up with this amazing story. Younger brothers love this story. And for Jesus, the ones who, have been, who would have been in that category were the sinners and tax collectors, and they would have absorbed this and absorbed the amazing grace that is offered in this story. But they weren't the only ones who were listening to Jesus at this point. The beginning of the chapter, verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, setting up the chapter 15 that has three stories of lost things, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Setting this all up at the beginning of the chapter, it reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So Jesus is talking to both groups. And who would the Pharisees have connected with in this story? I described a couple weeks ago, I talked about who the Pharisees are, that they're very committed to the law, very legalistic, very committed to doing what is right. They would not have been the wanderer taking the money. They would very much have connected with the older brother. How would they have felt sitting and listening to Jesus tell this story? Again, most of us hear the story of the prodigal son and love it. We're warmed by it. But how would the Pharisees have felt hearing this story? They would have been ticked off. They would have been ticked off. This is not a happy story for them. This this curdled their butter. I don't know. This would have been frustrating for them. Major frustrating for them. And it even it even the story uh, ends in a in an amazingly difficult way for the Pharisees. Look at the end of the story in verse 31. 
Jesus finishes the story. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. He's talking to the older son. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees, a story that says the younger, the one who, who squandered it all, and came back and received full grace with apparently no consequences, is celebrating at the party. And at the end of the story, the faithful older brother has an uncertain finish. The story ends uncertain whether this brother gets over it and enters to become part of the party, or is frustrated and distanced from his father for the rest of his life. We don't know the end of that story. There's not a glorious finish for those who connect with the older brother. It's an open-ended part of the story. And that would have been incredibly, incredibly frustrating to the Pharisees who were listening to this. This is a story about a real relationship with Jesus. And here's why I wanted to to, to tell this story today is that I think this story of the two brothers represents duty and pleasure. That the younger brother represents pleasure and the older brother represents duty. And that the point Jesus is making here is not that one brother's white right and one brother's wrong, but that both, by pursuing their extremes, both went the wrong path. Both went the wrong path by pursuing one of these extremes. See, it's not that, the, it's not that there is a, a good brother and a bad brother. It's not that the younger brother is good because uh, he uh, came back to the father and the older brother is bad brother because uh, he remained uh, stiff and stoic and cold. It's not that the older brother is good because he remained faithful and the younger brother is bad because he was responsible. Jesus is saying, here's two examples of a poor connection to the the concept of having an intimate relationship with God because both were pursuing the same thing. Both were pursuing their own desires. Both were, were, were pursuing what they could get from God rather than a relationship with God. Both were pursuing what they could get rather than a relationship with the father. See, the the younger son wanted pleasure. The younger son wanted freedom. The younger son wanted the money from the father now. And we think of the older son and the the younger son being completely different, but they were both going after basically the same thing because the older son wanted money from the father in due time. The younger son wanted recognition for his duty, wanted what is fair, wanted a commitment to what he believed was fair. They both wanted money. They were serving themselves and not interested primarily in relationship with the father. When when, when a relationship is all duty and no pleasure, it's lacking. When a relationship is all pleasure and no duty, it's lacking. A relationship, a human intimate relationship requires 
both. And, and as far as going after a relationship with Jesus, it's about having both of those, duty and pleasure. It's about going after both, duty and pleasure. So where do you land? Where are you in terms of your relationship with Jesus? Do you find that uh, you're all pleasure and you like having your heart stirred and the pleasure part, that's where you go, but the duty part, that seems a little legalistic, you're not interested? Or do you find that you're all about duty, all you've ever known in terms of relationship with God is the duty, the commitment piece, but the whole pleasure concept, that, that, is, that is a complete foreign idea for you. Or do you have a sense of both? With regard to a relationship with Jesus, are you interested in getting what you can from that relationship? And there's some beautiful things that can come out of that. The, the purpose, the forgiveness, the freedom. Or are you simply rela- interested in a relationship with Jesus? Are you interested in what you can get out of Jesus? Or are you interested in Jesus himself? And here's how we're going to wrap this up here today. Our response time is going to be a little bit different, and we're all just going to basically have an invitation to do one thing, to have a tangible decision to say, I want to be one of the 12. I want to, to, to invest both duty and pleasure into a real relationship with Jesus. I want to enter in for the rest of this year, for the rest of my life, I want to enter in and say, I don't want to just have a knowledge-based relationship with Jesus. I really want to know him. I want to be one of the 12. And so what we're going to do here as we close is invite you to come up. We have some boards here. And in the first celebration, a number of people came up and signed their name to them. And we're going to invite you to come up and make a decision if you want to come up and sign your name to be one of the 12 and say, yep, I want to join Jesus in that way. Let me be real clear about something. This is not a, a salvation piece. This isn't a, uh, 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 if your name is written on the board that you're saved, and if you choose not to sign your name on there that you're not saved, it is not a salvation piece. It's not a salvation thing. You could be a follower of Christ, committed follower of Christ, perhaps a visitor, and say, you know, I'm just, I'm just not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that at this time. No problem. No problem. Or, you could be what we often refer to as a seeker, somebody who's saying, I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm still trying to connect with who this Jesus might be. I'm, I'm still not sure. You can come and sign up and say, I want to be one of the 12. I still don't know, but I want to join in that area. I want to sit with Jesus. I want to get to know him more. I want to learn more about him, find out if this whole thing is real or not. I'm interested. I encourage you to to take this decision seriously. It's not just get up and, well, everyone's doing it. That's what we're supposed to do in church today. That's, I guess, what we're told to do in church today. I invite you to to think seriously about it, about saying, is this where your heart is? About saying that, about whether or not you are are ready to commit to both the pleasure and the duty of having a real relationship with Jesus. That the duty part is about saying, I am going to invest in that relationship. I am going to, in a committed way, have a regular, hopefully a daily encounter with Jesus, whether it's through prayer or through reading a scripture or listening to him or acknowledging him on a regular basis. And that you would be committed to the pleasure 
of spending time with Jesus. That you would be, that you would enter into enjoying him on a regular basis. Not just checking something off. But that you would enter into saying, I want the pleasure part. You would be committed to both the pleasure and the duty of having a genuine, intimate relationship with Jesus. You don't have to do this today. We're going to have these up for uh, the rest of the year. And you can interact at any time. You can participate in this uh, in, in any way that you'd like. But we want to invite you to come and see if you want to respond to God in this way today. See if you want to sign up and say, I want to be one of the 12. I want to be one of the 12. I want to get to know Jesus in a way I never have before. Would you pray with me? Father, what an amazing thing you've done by coming to earth in the form of a baby and becoming one of us so that we don't have to just imagine what it would be like to have a relationship with God, but that you've allowed us to have a true interaction with Jesus. God, I pray right here in this moment that you would give us clarity as to what this means in, in each heart here in the room, for each heart to decide, I want to be one of the 12. I want to be one of the 12. And God, that you would give us clarity as we pursue you, that we would not just pursue the benefits of knowing you, but we would truly want to know you and be with you. Come and be with us as we respond to you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.